ReachMD XM157 now presents this month's special series, Exploring Heart Health. Can calculated breathing provide health benefits? Welcome to a special segment on heart health on the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Joining me today is Dr. William Elliott, Professor of Preventive Medicine, Internal Medicine, and Pharmacology at Rush Medical College in Chicago. Dr. Elliott was one of the original specialists in clinical hypertension designated by the American Society of Hypertension and has both researched and published extensively in the areas of cardiovascular clinical pharmacology. Dr. Elliott was also a contributor on five topics to the sixth report of the Joint National Committee on Prevention, Detection, Evaluation, and Treatment of High Blood Pressure, otherwise known as JNC6. Dr. Elliott, welcome to the show. Thank you. Well, let's talk about this new concept known as device-guided breathing. Can you take us through that a little bit? The idea of using proper respiration to improve or maintain health has a long and glorious history. It goes back to the ancient Chinese and probably even further, because in the Chinese language, as you may know, a qi is the word for health, also for breathing, and believe it or not, it actually translates a bit into the circulation or the blood pressure, in fact. So there's been uh, this link between proper breathing and blood pressure for quite some time. Lately, we have discovered, in fact, that people with obstructive sleep apnea, for example, that don't breathe properly, particularly at night, typically have higher blood pressure. And this has led some to think that, in fact, if we could get people to do what people in Asia often do, the Buddhist monks, for example, practice this wonderful slow breathing, go into some sort of catatonic trance, lower their blood pressure, their pulse rate, their metabolic rate, etc. And uh, many people have the idea that this would be a good thing to do for those of us who are interested in lowering blood pressure and maintaining health. In your history at Rush, how many monks have you treated with high blood pressure? Only two. <laughs> they weren't active monks if they were in Chicago. Well, actually, the one was a Tibetan monk who's a Buddhist, and the other one was actually a Catholic monk. He was kind of, I don't know if they're exactly called priests, but they have a special designation in that faith. All right, so this technique has been around for years. Why now the sudden interest? Is there money to be made here? I don't know much about money. But the good news is that there has been an invention about 10 years ago that uses kind of, how should we say, biofeedback technique and modern technology. It's a marriage of the two. It's a little device that has three important parts. One is a set of headphones, a bit like Walkman headphones or the iPod headphones that people are used to these days, that is connected to a little controller box. Talk about that in a minute. And then the controller box receives information about how the person is breathing and how their inspiratory time and volumes are based on a band around the chest, which we in medicine, as you know, call a tachypnometer. It basically feeds the signals back into the controller box, and the controller box basically feeds then back to the person's headphones two different tones, one of which is associated sort of subliminally with inspiration and the other with expiration. And what the machine does based on how you breathe is to feed you longer duration tones for inspiration and then similarly expiration as you learn to do it. And actually, without even knowing that this is going on, you're kind of entrained into slow breathing by increasing the time of inspiration and expiration and, of course, the time between breaths. This increases respiratory volume as well, a tidal volume as well. And so as a result, the breathing rate is slowed typically to around 6 from an average of 10 to 12 to 15 on the average person in a given minute. And then what is the subsequent effect on blood pressure? Well, the immediate effect is pretty clear, and this has been used for a long time. In fact, if you are commonly practicing and taking blood pressures in the clinic, typically you tell the person to take a deep breath and relax and think nice thoughts and all that sort of thing. And that does help lower blood pressure in a couple of minutes. 
The interesting question that we and others have addressed now in seven clinical studies, eight actually to be quite frank, there are eight clinical studies that basically have looked at the effects of low breathing for about 15 minutes a day on a daily basis, but not on blood pressure in the next few minutes or the next few hours, but in fact uh, approximately 20 to 24 hours after the most recent exercise period. So in other words, can we lower blood pressure chronically by doing exercise on a daily basis at a time remote from the exercise? The answer to that, I think, is yes. What's the most recent study you've participated in? Well, let me give you sort of a historical overview. The original device was invented in Israel, and as a result, as you can imagine, they have a lot of hypertension in Israel, as you probably know, given their location and all the troubles going on there, you can understand that. So they have a lot of people there interested in hypertension, as they should, and those people did the original four studies that were able to show that lowering the blood pressure with this device Uh, as compared to a number of different controls. One was nice, soothing music delivered by a Walkman. One was kind of a meditation kind of a thing where they were taught. Another one was a control where they were fed white noise. I don't know if you are familiar with the concept, but it's sort of random, non-rhythmic noise as a control. And basically, it's kind of a hissing kind of sound is what it is. And anyway, the the point is that in each of those circumstances, no matter how they measured the blood pressure, 24-hour blood pressure monitoring in some circumstances, clinic readings sometimes, home readings other times, there was a significant reduction when people did this slow breathing exercise guided by the device. Our involvement came about because when they came to the United States to try to market the device, they could do so based on what they had because only if it was to be prescribed by a healthcare provider. And obviously that limits their market. So they came to me and several of my colleagues and said, we need to do a study which would allow us to get FDA approval for marketing the device without healthcare providers' recommendation, in other words, an over-the-counter use. And so this required a very difficult process of designing a study that would compare blood pressures eight weeks after receiving a package. And the package either included either a home blood pressure monitoring device, typical arm cuff blood pressure monitor like we commonly see in clinical practice and recommend often, The lucky people got that device and then the machine that would help them slow their breathing. And unlike the other studies where there was a moderate amount of training going on and people learning how to use the device from a healthcare provider and a help desk available for those who had trouble once they got home, this was done completely without that sort of thing, sort of in vacuo to see if people on their own could figure out how to use the thing properly and could get to slow breathing and that could lower blood pressure over an eight-week period of time. That study was successful in showing that the people who used the device got about 10 or 11 millimeters lower systolic blood pressure as compared to those who just monitored their blood pressure at home over an eight-week period. If you've just joined us, you're listening to a special segment on heart health on the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell. My guest today is Dr. William Elliott, professor of medicine, internal medicine, pharmacology at Rush Medical College. And we're talking about how to lower blood pressure with a machine called Respirate. All right, so is the machine now approved? The machine was approved, I believe it was in 2006. We published our paper in 2004. They took it to the FDA, and it didn't take very long for the FDA to approve it as an over-the-counter device. What does one of these devices cost, and where can I get one? It's 300 bucks, I believe, is the manufacturer's suggested retail price. For a while, it was available in a few select pharmacies, but they didn't sell enough in that direction. So they've gone to an internet-based sales and marketing campaign, which basically, I believe it's respirate.com, and that gets you a splash page which allows you to read more about the device, to order one, to see all the scientific publications about it, and actually to read also the money-back guarantee. Unlike pills, where we typically require the people to buy the pills, and if they don't work, we tell them, I'm sorry. 
If after eight weeks the blood pressure is not sufficiently lowered, if your doctor doesn't like it, if the patient doesn't use it, which does occasionally happen, then I believe it's possible to send the thing back and they send the money back, which is kind of nice. And have you used it recently with any of your patients? Oh, yes. Unfortunately, from my perspective, the company has launched a major ad campaign with quarter-page ads in most of the recent local newspapers. Uh, including things like the Wall Street Journal, which I don't read, but several of my patients brought to me. And there's a quote from me in the middle of the thing. And of course, it's a little embarrassing to see my name on uh, things where clearly there is, how should we say, a lot of commerce going on and it makes me nervous. But the quote is correct. I mean, I've seen with my own eyes the uh, effects of blood pressure lowering when people use this device as directed. Uh, What they don't say, of course, is the people who buy the device expecting, based on intention to treat analyses, that simply purchasing the device will lower their blood pressure are sorely mistaken. And like any kind of exercise, you have to actually do the exercise to see the results. You actually have to do it daily. Well, I wouldn't say you have to do it daily, but you certainly have to do it on average 45 minutes a week. I don't know anybody who's actually done it in one 45-minute session and then skipped the rest of the six days. But in our studies, we have had people who've done it every other day for double the amount of time on each given day. And that seems to work, although perhaps not quite as well as people who do it routinely every day. And did you do, when you did any of the studies, did you do any sort of long-term follow-up, see if there were any effects echocardiographically, like left ventricular thickness, thinning, or anything like that? We've been recommending these studies now for about six or seven years. Unfortunately, it's a small company. As I said, they're internet-based. They can't afford a lot of the things that the big pharma companies routinely do. So sadly, we haven't been able to convince them to spend the money on that sort of thing. Yet in clinical practice, I can tell you there are a number of people where there have been improvements on EKGs, for example. There have been improvements in not only blood pressure, but urinary albumin excretion and other surrogate endpoints that many of us think are related to things eventually resulting in heart attack, stroke, and death. It seems like a nice add-on for someone who's on two meds already and still not controlled, who has lost the weight and is controlling all their other risk factors for high blood pressure, it seems like a nice little add-on. But are they going to want to spend $300, which leads to the question, will insurance cover it? Many of them do pay the $300. Most are reassured by the money-back guarantee. So far, I think it's only about 5% of the people who sent the thing back that I've had. But they have to be pretty motivated to come to see me. It costs more to see me, actually, than it does to get the machine. But the visit is covered by insurance, and typically the machine is not. I have written prescriptions, however, and on occasion there are insurance companies that if you write a prescription for the thing, as with a glucose monitor, they will pick up the cost. So it's an uncommon situation, but it does occasionally occur. Why not say, why don't you go learn yoga? Good question. We were actually criticized in the paper for not recommending this. The challenge, of course, is that there are only two studies that show that yoga basically reduces blood pressure. And on each occasion, it takes a moderate amount of time and effort and training to actually learn how to do it properly. In research studies, of course, we pay for that sort of thing in the research. In real life, you have to go to the Y or you have to go to find a yoga teacher, etc. And these people are not cheap, unfortunately. And oftentimes, the training session takes more money than it does to buy the machine. So sadly, yes, there are yoga exercises that have been shown in the past to improve blood pressure. The biggest such study, as you may remember, was done in the Ford Motor Company plant over in England by a famous Dr. Patel. And the good news is that it does work. The challenge is, A, getting people to learn how to do it properly and then B, getting them to do it. The nice thing about having the device is it's your trigger. You see that sucker sitting on your desk at night, you know, and you say, I paid for that. I might as well use it. 
Whereas, you know, when are you going to be reminded to do yoga? Maybe you can set it on your BlackBerry to call you and tell you to remind. Now it's your time for uh, yoga practice. The BlackBerry is part of the problem. It's that we are all so wired and our lives are so complicated. We're constantly multitasking. And how much of that do you think is causing high blood pressure? Well, it's hard to say. But the good news is, you know, is that uh, medicine is a discipline where customer service is our only product. And if you're not able to service your customers in a 24-7, 365 situation, you're probably not practicing medicine properly and your patients are not happy. What's the future for the Respirate product? What are you working on now? The work that we've done with Respirate is pretty much concluded. They've achieved their objective of getting the thing available in the United States without a doctor's prescription. We're using it uh, routinely in the clinic in appropriate patients who are motivated and who will presumably continue to use it. We don't commonly recommend it to people who basically tell me that they're not interested in doing 15 minutes a day with the machine. And you can often figure that out actually pretty easily when they're first there. Well, Dr. William Elliott, as always, a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and you've been listening to a special segment on heart health on the Clinician's Roundtable on XM157. To comment or to listen to our full library of podcasts, please visit us at our website, reachmd.com. And if you register with the promo code RADIO, you'll get six months free of streaming ReachMD that you can listen to over your computer, at work, or at home. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to our special series, Exploring Heart Health. Join us all month for more here on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals.